so we finished text number seven or six last week, chapter 18. We finished up, yes, we're on eight. So we're going through quite a few verses without purports until we get to 23. And so this is the battle between Rahadev and Hiranyaksha. It's quite a battle. <laughs> The Lord placed the earth within his sight on the surface of the water. It's like, you, you stay there, we'll take care of you. And transferred, um, and transferred to her his own energy in the form of the ability to float on the water. While the enemy stood looking on, Brahma, the creator of the universe, extolled the world, the Lord, and the other demigods rained flowers on him. The demon who had a wealth of ornaments, bangles, and beautiful golden armor on his body, chased the Lord from behind with a great mace. The Lord tolerated his piercing ill words, but in order to reply to him, he expressed his terrible anger. So that's, um, we talked about this, I think, in regards to Srila Prabhupada, how sometimes for the benefit of a disciple or for spreading Krishna consciousness, he would appear to be angry, but then at the next moment, he, he was just, you know, uh, equipoised. Um, and so it was clear that he wasn't angry in the way of um, uh, the modes of material nature affecting him, but rather he was doing it as service to Krishna. So similarly here, uh, the Lord, he could tolerate the ill words, but in order to reply, he expressed his anger. Krishna's not... He's the controller of the modes of material nature. He is not controlled by the modes of material nature. So now, Sri Bhagavan Uvacha, so Krishna is saying, we are creatures of the jungle. And we are searching after hunting dogs like you. <laughs> One who is freed from the entanglement of death has no fear from the loose talk in which you are indulging, for you are bound up by the laws of death. Prabhupada said, demons and atheistic persons can go on insulting the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but they forget that they are subjected to the laws of birth and death. So they're insulting the very person who controls them. So certainly we have spoken, we, uh, we have stolen the charge of the inhabitants of Rasatala and have lost all shame. Although bitten by your powerful mace, I shall stay here in the water for some time because, having created enmity with a powerful enemy, I now have no place to go. So, of course, Krishna is speaking a bit facetiously here. You are supposed to be the commander of many foot soldiers, and now you may take prompt steps to overthrow us. Give up all your foolish talk and wipe out the cares of your kith and kin by slaying us. One may be proud, yet he does not deserve a seat in an assembly if he fails to fulfill his promised words. So he's saying, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Right? You know, you have to, uh, uh, don't just talk big. Yeah, walk your talk, yeah. Or as they say in New York, walk your talk. Now Maitreya, so there's, there's like all these conversations within conversations within conversations. So Maitreya said, 
The demon, being thus challenged by the personality of Goddard, became angry and agitated, and he trembled in anger like a challenged cobra. Hissing indignantly, all his senses shaken by wrath, the demon quickly sprang, up, uh, sprang upon the Lord and dealt him a blow with his powerful mace. The Lord, however, by moving slightly aside, dodged the violent mace, mace blow aimed at, him, uh, aimed at his breast by the enemy, just as an accomplished yogi would elude death. Prabhupada goes on in the purport to talk about how yogis can live a very long time. But he just, you know, he just missed them. <laughs> Even though he was aiming right for the center. <laughs> the personality of God had now exhibited his anger and rushed to meet the demon, who bit his lip in rage, took up his mace again, and began to repeatedly brandish it about. Then... With his mace, the Lord struck the enemy on the right of his brow. But since the demon was expert in fighting, O gentle Vidura, he protected himself by a maneuver of his own mace. In this way, the demon Hiranyaksha and the Lord, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, or here it says Haryaksha, which is the same meaning, struck each other with their huge maces, each enraged and seeking his own victory. There was keen rivalry between the two combatants. Both had sustained injuries on their bodies from the blows of each other's pointed maces, and each grew more and more enraged at the smell of blood on his person. In their eagerness to win, they performed maneuvers of various kinds, and their, con con and their contest looked like an encounter between two forceful bulls for the sake of a cow. So, you know, there's so much money spent on, um, what is it, pay-per-view? TV of boxing matches, right? You know, uh, Floyd Patterson, uh, Floyd Merriweather, is that his name? Yeah, Floyd Patterson's from a different era. Uh, you know, and I, when I was a kid, it was, the big thing was Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier. That was the big fight. And the rumble in the jungle in uh, somewhere in Africa. Yeah, so... <laughs> So imagine how exciting, you know, because they, they actually, boxers, I think, are the most, the highest paid profession, at least the top ones. They get a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, so it's interesting. Obviously, if it, if it was like, uh, very boring, they, you know, they get paid because people pay to watch them. So it's exciting. So this is like, you know, multiply that many, many fold and you get what's going on here. <laughs> oh, descendant of Kuru. Brahma, the most independent demigod of the universe, that's an important point, the most independent, They're not, none of them are fully independent, but the most independent demigod, accompanied by his followers, came to see the terrible fight for the sake of the world between the demon and the personality of Godhead who appeared in the form of a boar. So, you know, sometimes, you know, big musicians or other sports stars come to the boxing match and famous people are around the ring, but they don't probably get Lord Brahma to come. This is big time. <laughs> this is really big time. Text 21. After arriving at the place of combat, Brahma, the leader of thousands of sages, so a lot of people showed up for this match, and transcendentalists saw the demon who had attained such unprecedented power that no one could fight with him. Brahma then addressed Narayana, who was 
assuming the form of a boar for the first time. And Lord Brahma said, My dear Lord, this demon has proved to be a constant pinprick to the demigods, the brahmanas, the cows, and innocent persons who are spotless and always dependent upon worshiping your lotus feet. He has become a source of fear by unnecessarily harassing them. Since he has attained a boon from me, he has become a demon, always searching for a proper combatant, wandering all over the universe for this infamous purpose. And Prabhupada writes in the purport, there's, you know, the purport talks about a, lot, a few things, but I'll just read the last two sentences. The devotees of the Supreme Personality of Godhead do not, however, ask any favor for sense gratification. They don't ask favor for themselves. Even if they are offered liberation, they refuse it. They are happy simply engaging in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. So I was going to speak more about this in um, actually verse 1 of the next chapter. But um, so briefly, you know, people go to, to Krishna, come to the temple, see the deities for different reasons, right? We know from the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, chatur vidha bhajantemam jana sukriti norjuna, that arto jigyasar artarti gyani cha that some people come to the Lord and they pray because they're in uh, need of wealth, some are just in more general distress. Some are inquisitive. Some are actually searching for the absolute truth. Um, so that's called, in that verse it says sukritina, which means pious. So it's much better to approach God than to not approach God and just think I can, you know, I can do it my way. But what, uh, so there's different levels, right? So that, that's the lowest level that, I, you know, why, who needs God? I can do it my way. The next level is to pray to God for one's own personal needs and necessities. You know, let my child get very high scores on the SATs or get into an Ivy League school or, you know, whatever, or that, that, that dream house um, out in uh, Reston. Uh, let me get that, you know, or something like that. <laughs> uh, or an <in> Ashburn, <laughs> whatever. Um, that's, so that's next level up, because the least ones um, accepting the Lord can, you know, has that power to benedict us with such things. But the, what Krishna actually speaks in Bhagavad Gita, and certainly what we hear in the Bhagavatam, is, is, a, is a higher level still, where we don't approach God for anything for ourselves, but just, how can I serve you? How can I please you? How can I enter into a loving relationship with you? And that is, uh, what, that is pure bhakti, shuddha bhakti. And that, and only that, is what actually satisfies the soul. House in Ashburn doesn't satisfy the soul. Child getting, going to Harvard doesn't satisfy the soul. Uh, getting a new Lexus doesn't satisfy the soul. But pleasing God and developing a loving relationship with him, that satisfies who we really are. Everything else is gone in due course of time. But that remains permanent, our relationship with Krishna. Any thoughts on this? So I was going to talk more about this theme in the first verse, because the first verse talks about prayer in the next uh, chapter. So then we'll go through the, the uh, translations quickly for the rest of this chapter. Not quickly, but... 
Lord Brahma continued. So Lord Brahma is talking now, and he says, My dear Lord, there is no need to play with this serpentine demon who is always very skilled in conjuring tricks and is arrogant, self-sufficient, and most wicked. So he's saying, like, you know, you're wasting too much time here. Brahma continued. My dear Lord, you are infallible. Please kill this sinful demon before the demoniac hour arrives and he presents another formidable approach favorable to him. You can kill him by your internal potency without doubt. So it's, it's, it's um, we've, this and in a previous verse when Diti became pregnant, we learn about how there's different times of the day and different auspicious uh, times of the day uh, for different things. Hare Krishna, I hope you come again soon. Hare Krishna. Bye, Kartik. <laughs> um, the child's name is Kartik. We're not talking about the month, we're talking about the person. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so there's different times of the day. And we hear this also in the eighth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. At different times, when one leaves one's body, one gets different destinations. But Krishna's conclusion is at the end of that verse, chapter, where he says, for a devotee, there's only auspiciousness. Because if one's actual attitude is only to please Radha and Krishna, Radha and Madame Mohan, then what can be auspicious or inauspicious? Right? Um, yet, it's, it's, it's interesting to be aware. Uh, there was this, there's this... Uh, even this very detailed thing, what is it called, Chalagna? Chalagna? Where like, it goes through all the, the days of the week and which times of different days are good things to, um, auspicious times to do things. Anjanga, yeah, but this, had, this is part of that. But anyway, um, Srila Prabhupada generally didn't follow this, but he didn't tr like to travel on Thursday afternoons. Was one thing. So even if he was, if he had to travel on Thursday afternoon, he left his suitcase out Thursday morning. So he had started his journey, so to speak. Um, not that he made a big deal out, but that was one practice that he had. Um, but there are times of the day we we all know that uh, there's nothing like the early morning hours, right, for spiritual practices. You know, I, I travel so much I find it hard. But uh, my wife gets up at two o'clock every morning. And she, you know, chants two hours straight until four o'clock. Then comes to Mangalarti, and you know, I, I, I have to be careful with her because she has so much shakti from doing that. <laughs> Better not offend her. <laughs> but but it is. It's a good practice. To, to, and not not all of us can do that. She can, you know, she can't, she doesn't. Therefore, she doesn't go out evenings um, to people's homes and programs because you can't burn the candle at both ends. So she takes rest on seven thirty or eight. Um, but anyway, the point is that the morning hours are very good for spiritual practices. The day is a passionate time, and night is more governed by ignorance. And similarly, food is governed by different things. What we drink is governed by different things. Who we associate with... You don't hear sirens too often in Potomac. Yeah. Um, so here, they're saying, of course, Brahma should hopefully knows that it doesn't matter even if whatever hour it is, Krishna can defeat Hiranyaksha. But still he says before the evening comes where he becomes more powerful, get to it. So any thoughts? Okay. 
So continuing, text 26, my Lord, the darkest evening which covers the world is fast approaching. Since you are the soul of all souls, kindly kill him and win victory for the demigods. Just like Dracula, he didn't come out in the daytime, right? He was a night guy, yeah. <laughs> the auspicious period known as Abhijit, so here's another timing thing, which is most opportune for victory, commenced at midday and has all but passed. Therefore, in the interest of your friends, please dispose of this formidable foe quickly. So one would think that he finally got the right thing to tell Krish, to tell you here, um, uh, to tell Varahadev, you know, for the sake of your friends. Krishna likes to act on behalf of, for the pleasure of his devotees. So, you know, daytime, nighttime, whatever, but for the pleasure of his devotees. Just like Hiranya Kashipu, I guess he probably wasn't uh, killed at an auspicious time. It was, it was dusk. It was neither night nor day. The demon, uh, this demon, luckily for us, has come of his own accord to you, his death ordained by you. Therefore, exhibiting your ways, kill him in the duel and establish the world in peace. So, going to chapter 19. Sri Maitreya said, After hearing the words of Brahma, the creator, which were free from all sinful purposes and as sweet as nectar, the Lord heartily laughed and accepted his prayers with a glance laden with love. And in the purport, the first few verse, uh, uh, sentences, the word nirjalika is very significant. The prayers of the demigods or devotees of the Lord are free from all sinful purposes. But the prayers of the demons are always filled with sinful purposes. You know, just looking out for number one. The demon Hiranyaksha became powerful by deriving a boon from Brahma. And after attaining that boon, he created a disturbance because of his sinful intentions. The prayers of Brahma and other demigods are not to be compared to the prayers of the demons. Their purpose is to please the Supreme Lord. Therefore, the Lord smiled and accepted the prayer to kill the demon. So, um, we also should be careful not to confuse different kinds of prayers. Right? Because you can go to the Lord and say, you know, please let my child get into the best school possible. Or you can go up to the Lord and say, please grant me pure devotional service. The word please is there in both. So we might, they're, they're, the difference is like gold and iron. Right? If you go out, you can go out and buy a ton of iron for I don't know how much it would cost. It wouldn't cost very much. A ton of gold, you can't even imagine how much that costs. Right? So the difference between praying to Krishna, you know, you know, give me a house by the sea, Swami Jai Jagadish Hari, give my wife a new sari, and a 70-inch flat-screen color TV, <laughs> and what about me? Give me a house by the sea, Swami Jai Jagadish Hari. Right, so we, you know, that's that's one thing. Again, we said it's it's sukritana. It's much better than saying who needs God. I, I'll I'll take care of myself. But that prayer is very different than going, my dear Radhamadan Mohan. Please, you know, I'm a fallen soul, um, um, but please engage me eternally in your pure devotional service. My only desire is to fulfill your desire and that of your pure devotees. That's very different. Even though, extra, you know, because if you say it within your mind. You may look 
the same as <laughs> to an outsider, it may look exactly the same, right? If you're just like this and it's, you know, <laughs> so, but they're very different. They're very different. So a few things about prayer. Um, it's one of the nine processes, right? Uh, uh, it's one of the ninefold processes of bhakti, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu sparanam, pada sevanam, archanam, vandanam. Vandanam means prayer. And this is from the Nectar of Devotion, Bhakti Prabhupada's translation of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Natural affection, uh, wait. Young ladies have natural affection for young boys, and young boys have natural affection for young girls. In the same way, I am praying at your lotus feet that my mind may be attracted unto you in the same spontaneous way. Then Prabhupada's comment, that's actually a verse. The, this, the example is very appropriate. When a young boy or girl sees a member of the opposite sex, there is a natural attraction without the need for any introduction. Without any training, there is a natural attraction due to the sex impulse. They write, it's not one of the courses that they have in high school to have attraction for the, right? You don't have to, you don't have to be trained in that. It just happens. This is a material example, but the devotee is praying that he may develop a similar spontaneous attachment for the Supreme Lord, free from any desire for profit and without any other cause. This natural attraction for the Lord is the perfectional stage of self-realization. So that's, that's what we want to do. Right? We, um, <clears throat> It, it, it just becomes uh, the most natural, the idea of it becoming the most natural thing. And, when, and how to get there, because we're not there yet, is pray for that kind of consciousness. Um, here's another quote. This is from uh, the part of Nectar Devotion. It's talking about the 64 items of bhakti. And one of them is submission, which is a kind of prayer. And it says, those who are less intelligent want to worship different demigods for some material gain rather than worship Krishna. But here it is stated that a devotee who is always engaged in offering prayers to the Lord is worshipable even by the demigods themselves. So we become worshipable by constantly being in a prayerful mood. Not that we want to become worshipable, but you get the idea. The pure devotees have nothing to ask from any demigod, because those are the ones usually people go to, you know, for material boons. Rather, the demigods are anxious to offer prayers to the pure devotees. In the Nishinga Purana, it is stated, any person who comes before the deity of Lord Krishna and begins to chant different prayers is immediately relieved from all the reactions of sinful activities and becomes eligible without any doubt to enter into the Vaikuntha Loka. So, uh, Vandana prayer is, is Abhideya. It's part of the process of bhakti. And it leads to what we just read, the Prayojana, or the goal of life. And here's one uh, other very short one sentence. A devotee, so this is, listen to this, because this is meant for all of us. A devotee sh uh, should select some prayers for his recitation. We should find prayers that inspire us, right? Some of us may chant the shikshastika. Some of, what are some other nice prayers to chant? Brahma Samhita. Prayers of 
prayers of Queen Kunti. Oh, very nice. Yes. Arjuna's prayers in the 11th chapter of the Gita are very nice. Um, yeah, those, there's Guru, uh, Gajendra's prayers when he's attacked by the alligator. There's Bhishma's prayers. Yes, there's so many nice prayers there. Um, Prahlad Maharaj's prayers to Nishingadev. Yeah, so there's so many. So there's two. So there's basically there's two kinds of prayers that are mentioned in nectar devotion: the prayers of other great devotees that we can repeat, and our own prayers that we just make up to the Lord. So both both can be there, okay? But but the idea is um, we shouldn't think exactly of prayer is something to get me what I want. That's the idea. I mean, that's not the idea. The idea, rather, is it's one of the ninefold processes and it connects us with Krishna. When we pray to Krishna for a period, we're actually connecting with him. We're actually connecting with him. So um, it's not... Because it's not, prayer can be pretty much all about us. Right? And Krishna is just the order supplier. You know, this word isn't common in America, order supplier. Right? But I noticed uh, even in Loy Bazaar, it says, uh, Rasabi Hari Lal and Sons, order supplier. Uh, they're the mo- we're one of the most famous shops in, uh, in Vrindavan. Right? <clears throat> so maybe you know, we might use Amazon these days instead of order supplier. Right? But uh, that's not, that's, the idea is um, there's a deeper level than it being all about us. Right? It's a way to connect with Krishna in a meaningful way. So we shouldn't confuse the different kind of prayers. It's actually a very pro- powerful process of, of yoga, of to yoke, to connect with the Lord. It's nice to wake up in the morning and say a prayer. There's one prayer that's recommended by the previous acharyas. Uh, I don't think I can remember the... Jayate Jananivaso Devaki Nandavadu. Does anyone know that verse? It's a, it's, I think it's from the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's glorifying Krishna in um, Vrindavan and Dwarka. But um, <clears throat> there's so many nice prayers that we can chant. Um, let me see, should I find it real quick? Uh, let's see if I can find it real quick. Jayato Jana Ni Vaso. Yes. Jayati, this is recommended by Gopal Bhatta Goswami, that, that we, pray, we say this prayer when we wake up. It's from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, chapter 90, right at the end, verse 48. <clears throat> Jayate Jananivaso, Devaki Janmavadu, Yaduvara Parisachvayar, uh, Dobir Asyan Adharmam. Stira chara vrinjitagna su sushmita shrimukena brajapura vanitanam vardhanam kamadevam. Lord Sri Krishna is he who is known as Jananivasa, the ultimate resort of all living entities, and who is also known as Devaki Nandana or Yashoda Nandana, the son of Devaki and Yashoda. He is the guide of the Yadu dynasty, and with his mighty arms he kills everything inauspicious as well as every man who is impious. 
By his presence, he destroys all things inauspicious for all living entities moving in inert. His blissful, smiling face always increases the lusty desires of the gopis of Vrindavan. May he be all glorious and happy. Nice. No? So that's a, uh, one prayer that's recommended by the previous acharyas. So some thoughts about prayer. Yes. I think more than just prayer, it's, it's the attitude that Brahma has. Actually, I wanted to say a lot about this verse. Okay. I think it's one of the most profound verses I've, I've read yet. And there's so many things happening right now. Because it, it shows so many things, but you wanted to focus on prayer. But, um, you this, mean the purport? So no, the, the just verse. the verse itself, okay. because it's, it's demonstrating very clearly the suspension of time, because Krishna is in a heated battle as Brahma <laughs> is praying to him, right? right. And Brahma knows that, but th there's no confusion. And also, I think Brahma would be qualified to actually converse with the Lord, but he's not conversing. It's a one-way conversation. He's, pray he's praying mm -hmm. to God, and, and it, just his attitude is, is so good. He... He doesn't know, well, that, the part that struck me is that he is, he's not sure that he can convince the Lord of what he wants him to convince, but he has zero doubt that the Lord is listening to him, even though he's in the midst of a heated battle. <laughs> so it's just doing things on so many levels at the same time. It's just incredible to think about, but um, I'm just overcome by it. <laughs> so Krishna can actually multitask. Whereas we can't, uh, we don't actually multitask, right? We go from one task to the next. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a nice point. It's not the only time that this happens. It's just like when the Brahmastra is heading for Arjuna, um, and Arjuna, time is kind of suspended because Arjuna says five or six different prayers while the Brahmastra is, you know, rushing towards him. Yes? It's on. The other thing that's happening at the same time is one of the purports, uh, Prabhupada mentions like a, a boy, a man playing with his son, like a two-year-old, like play yeah. fighting. He's doing that because really he can't be hurt. But at the same time, he's making it a fair fight because he's bleeding, he's smelling his yeah. blood. So he's doing all this, plus listening to Brahma's prayer. But the part that shows he's like the father playing is when he, he laughs heartily at, <laughs> at, at, at Brahma's while he's having this heated battle in a fair fight. So all these things are happening at the same time. So really there's no time. So it shows an example. Time has slowed down. Uh, well, it's no, fault. it's conspicuous by its absence. Mm. Cause he, he, and he's doing infinite and other things at the same time too that are not even focused on. So I thought it was so striking. And there's a quality also <laughs> where he says that his glance is laden with love. So, That's the other thing. As he's fighting him, he's looking at the at his devotee, as at his cherished devotee. He's looking through the demon at the spirit of that person, at the same time as he's uh, hitting him with the mace. So that's an, another and he's level. Lord Brahma, and yeah, and then he's yeah, dealing with the he's yeah. Doing so much. <laughs> Very good. Yes, Michael. You know, listening to. Uh, the events in this and then reading the Bhagavad Gita, it's hard to square all this with uh, the notion that God wants ahimsa. Because in both instances, he's, he's either enjoying fighting or encouraging somebody else to fight. Right. 
So uh, I'm not sure where nonviolence comes into all this. Well, that's a great question. Um, it, 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 it has to some extent to do with the definition of ahimsa. We often, tra we translate it sometimes as nonviolence. And another way to translate it is to do no harm. And um, just like the, what is it, the Hippocratic Oath of a doctor, right? First thing is to do no harm. We also, in my profession, we basically don't have to take that oath like a doctor does, perhaps, but we have the same basic idea when we're approaching a, a conflict situation. Um, so there's, so of course here there's no harm because we know, um, just like Diti later on, she's, she, she's upset, you know, uh, right? Her breasts are um, bringing blood instead of milk, but at the same time she's remembering that uh, these, my son was cursed um, by great devotees and they'll be back with the Lord very soon. So on one level it's a pastime, but as you're, as you're kind of indirectly pointing out or maybe referring to, there's a statement that, you know, Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu were um, um, one of the reasons that they were doing this as a service because the Lord likes to have a good fight sometimes. Yes, and as we were saying before, it, it has its reflection in this world. People, you know, uh, like I said, they pay probably more money for, I, I don't know, but I would think ringside seats must cost as much as Super Bowl tickets. Right, or uh, final four tickets on the court, court side, I would guess, or even perhaps more expensive. I, I never went to a boxing match. Um, but there's, there's some, it's also one of the rasas, one of the, uh, you know, there's the five primary relationships with the Lord, and then there's seven secondary ones. And one of them is, one or two of them are kind of related to this. Chivalry, yes, chivalry is one, yes, yes. Um, so what's there in the spiritual world or what's there in God also, you know, exists here. So, and Srila Prabhupada, you know, Srila Prabhupada sometimes would um, confuse his audience when he was, would talk about ahimsa as not, uh, in the spiritual sense of not blocking the march of the, uh, progressive march of the soul, right? And, and then he would talk about the battle, the Mahabharata and the Battle of Kurukshetra, all in the, in the mid-1960s when most of his audience was against the war in Vietnam, right? Um, <clears throat> and they would be struggling to reconcile what Swamiji was saying about, about Mahabharata, et cetera. With, uh, but we know that one of, the, one of the things about the Mahabharata is that the battle is really exciting for most readers. Right, I, I can remember when I was in living in India, and the the movie the Mahabharata came out, or the TV series, yeah, TV series, and at that time it was before the internet, and before, at least in villages, people could afford televisions very much. So, um, in Vrindavan, where I was living, there would be this small television about maybe 14-inch television or sort of 12, you know, whatever, uh, and then like 200 people, a minimum. What, do you, anyone lived in India at that time? Yeah, yeah, did you have the similar, yeah. It was every Sunday and then everything comes to a stop. Everything comes to a stop, yes, yeah. So, and what happens is, so there's this whole thing and then just when the battle's about to begin, 
and you're wondering who's going to win. And, you're, and the reader or the TV watcher is on the edge of their seat. The Bhagavad Gita enters. And Krishna teaches philosophy about the eternality of the soul and, and loving him and bhakti. And Ahimsa is mentioned seven times in the uh, Bhagavad Gita. Um, Ahimsa is mentioned seven times and there was one other word. I can't remember right now. So, so Ahimsa, um, yes, yeah, so nonviolence is not all, it's not blanketly rejected. And even, even someone like, uh, you know, some of the Democratic presidents of the United States who are more or less doves instead of hawks, right? Sometimes they still had to felt the need to enter into a uh, armed uh, struggle with another country. So I'm, not, I, I'm not commenting on the, the, whether those were good or not, but the point is that it is something that exists in the world. Um, yet at the same time, we have a the Bhagavad Gita has a different definition of it. Like that. Matter of fact, uh, a lot of Srila Prabhupada actually helped some of his disciples not get drafted into the war in Vietnam, and he would write them letters saying, you know, we are nonviolent. We don't even eat meat and you know, fish or eggs, <laughs> like that. But sometimes even those letters didn't work. So then Buri Prabhu was going for his physical, and the only and he's trying to figure, how can I get out of going into the war? So he brought uh, Jagannath Didis with him. <laughs> yeah. And so they sent him to the psychiatrist, and he set up the, the, um, the deities on the man's desk and paid obeisances. And then started chanting uh, Jagannatha Swami Nayanabhata. And the man turned to him and he said, You are not crazy, but you are not fit to be in the army. <laughs> so it, it worked and didn't work. I and mean, the ultimate result, but he, you know, the, the guy didn't fall for the whole uh, Jagannatha thing. You know, who's that? That's God. You know, <laughs> he didn't uh, think that was so strange, but he just said, You know, you're, yes. Yeah, in, in uh, chapter one, Purport, Prabhupada explains um, six types of people. That's right. If uh, they need to be punished, uh, murderers, arsonists, yeah. kidnappers, somebody who plunders wealth. Yeah. So, so they need to be punished. So violence has to be used in those mm -hmm. cases. He, he actually, I mean, of course, it's very hard to explain this to someone who doesn't accept the Shastra, but he would even say that capital punishment uh, had its benefits. Obviously, people, people who might uh, go on to harm others were no longer able to do that, but also their karmic reaction uh, is lessened or minimized by going through that. But of course, if they could be reformed and become a devotee, that's another thing. Yeah, but the, you know, we can go on. Um, gosh, it's too bad that I'm going blank. The other word besides, this is bothering me, ahimsa. And uh, there's another word that is kind of along those lines that's mentioned. Not, maybe Ahimsa is mentioned seven times. Oh, Shanti. Shanti is mentioned nine times. Ahimsa is mentioned seven times. Shanti means peace. <clears throat> so the peace formula is there, but it's not take away everyone's guns or you know send everyone to um, 
a liberal arts school in the Northeast <laughs> or whatever. But it was more Boktaram Yagatapasam, Sarva Loka Maheshram, Suridam Sarva Bhutanam, Gatvamam Shantim Richati. That if we actually know that everything belongs to God, that He's the enjoyer of our activities, and that He's our best friend. So just like take the violence yesterday in Charlottesville, right? So um, there's this sense of proprietorship, right? That people thought that America means white America, right? And that we, you know, we are the proprietors uh, of America like that. And that's what that tradition should be maintained today, right? Of course, they don't mention that who they killed to, to, to pick that up, right? You know, they neglect to say that all the white folks who came over um, from Europe um, killed off the, uh, and ruined the Native American culture in order to do that. But this false idea of proprietorship, right? and we see that also in India, you know, no one, no one is uh, not, sub, not possibly sub, in America we saw it, you know, for, you know, when the Irish people came, they were the demons, right? And then when the Italians know they were terrible outcasts, and now it's a Muslim, you know, um, this because people thought, other than them, we're the proprietors of this country. Right? So we see, we see that extremity play out, you know, in, in countries all around the world. Um, so Krishna is saying that the peace formula is to accept that God, whatever, you can call him Yahweh, you can call him Jehovah, you can call him Jesus Christ, but that God's a proprietor. You know, Srila Prabhupada said, when did, America, when did America buy this land from Krishna? Right? Or God, whatever, you know, you can generalize it. It, 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 it. After, you know, America is a big, you know, right? England was the big country, right? Now the sun never set on the British Empire, right? They, I think they were they on every continent? South America also? Yeah? Did I say it? Yeah, now it never rises, is the joke. Yeah, because <laughs> it's never sunny in England. <laughs> but yeah, so they were, you know, so America is very, you know, powerful now. You know, who knows, 200 years from now. And, you know, it's cyclical like that. Um, so Krishna is the supreme, or God, you, you know, again, we, you know, we don't have to go out in the world and say, it was Krishna, you know, if they want to say Jesus, whatever. But God's the proprietor of everything. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, the Bible says. You come into the world with nothing, you leave the world with nothing, and in the middle, you think you own so much. Uh, and then our activities are meant for his pleasure. Bhoktaram, yagyatapasam. Bhoktaram, yagyatapasam. That our life is meant to be a yagya, sacrifice to the pleasure of God. And then this really nice one, suridham sarvabhutanam. Surit means, what does it mean in Sanskrit? Yeah, benefactor, you say, yeah, benefactor, well-wisher, friend, yes. So, and who? Not just, not just Hindus or not just white people or not just this or not just that. Suridam sarva bhutanam. Sarva means all, all living entities. And someone who does that, that's where you get real. Gyatvamam, knowing that, gyatva means comes from gyan, knowing that about mam, me, not me, but Krishna, sorry. Uh, shantim richit. Richiti means to achieve. They achieve shanti. 
So that's the way to achieve Shanti. So yeah, a terrible thing that happened yesterday in uh, Charlottesville. Um, terrible things happen all over. They don't get, they don't make as much press in America, but you know, uh, there was another, uh, you know, uh, suicide bombing in some place. Fifteen people, you know, it just happens all, yeah, Pakistan. So, um, what else about this? Yes. We are talking about the chivalrous mood between Hiranyaksha and the Supreme Lord. Yeah. But the chivalrous mood of Lord Bhishma was more pleasing to the Supreme Lord. Because he, his was not with like hurtful words. Or the intent was still love, based on love. But whereas Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu, they, even though they were giving a good fight to the Supreme Lord and he was enjoying that sport, but it was not pleasing to him. <laughs> because even before the previous verses, we are learning it like the words of Hiranyaksha were like painful to the Supreme Lord to hear. But Bhishma was like f releasing arrows like anything and Krishna was getting hurt, but he was not, he was like feeling it like a lover's kiss. Yeah, it's a different rasa, a different uh, situation. Yeah, different situation. Anything else? Okay, so let's move on to text number two. The Lord, who had appeared from the nostril of Brahma, sprang and aimed his mace at the chin of his enemy, the Hiranyaksha demon, who was stalking fearlessly before him. Struck by the demon's mace, however, the Lord's mace slipped from his hand and looked splendid as it fell down, whirling. This was miraculous, for the mace was blazing wonderfully. Even though the demon had an excellent opportunity to strike his unarmed foe without obstruction, he respected the law of single combat, thereby kindling the fury of the Supreme Lord. As the Lord's mace fell to the ground, and a cry of alarm arose from the witnessing crowd of gods and rishis, the personality of God had acknowledged the demon's love of righteousness and therefore invoked his Sudarshan discs. So he was actually, you know, that was nice. I mean, he was following the etiquette, right? Just like, uh, who, what was, <laughs> this is pretty different, but that guy who uh, the president uh, hired to be the PR person for about one week, he said, I'm not a backstabber. He said, I only stab people in the front. <laughs> So, you know, that's, at least, you know, in one sense you could say that's a reasonable comment, at least he's saying, you know, we're going to insult you, I'm going to say it to your face. <laughs> As the discus began to revolve in the Lord's hands, and the Lord contended at close quarters with the chief of his Vaikuntha attendants, so here it's reminding us that they were Jai and Vijay, who had been born as Hiranyaksha, a vile son of Diti. There issued from every direction strange expressions uttered by those who were witnessing from airplanes. They had no knowledge of the Lord's reality and they cried, May victory attend you. Pray dispatch him. Play no more with him. When the demons saw the personality of Godhead who had eyes just like lotus petals standing in position before him armed with his Sudarshan discus, 
His senses were overwhelmed by indignation. He began to hiss like a serpent, and he bit his lip in, in great resentment. The demon who had fearful tusks stared at the personality of God as though to burn him. Springing into the air, he aimed his mace at the Lord, exclaiming at the same time, You are slain. O saintly Vidura, while his enemy looked on, the Lord in his boar form, the enjoyer of all sacrificial offerings, playfully knocked down the mace with his left foot. Like, yeah. Even as it came upon him with the force of a tempest. The Lord then said, take up your weapon and try again, eager as you are to conquer me. Challenged in these words, the demon aimed his mace at the Lord and once more loudly roared, when the Lord saw the mace flying toward him, he stood firmly where he was and caught it with the same ease as Garuda, the king of birds, would seize a serpent. His valor thus frustrated, the great demon felt humiliated and was put out of countenance. He was reluctant to take back the mace when it was offered by the personality of Godhead. He now took a trident, which was a rapitious, wow, never, rapitious, I'm not Rapacious? Rapacious. I'm not familiar with that word. Which was as rapacious as a flaming fire and hurled it against the Lord, the enjoyer of all sacrifices, even as one would use penance for a malevolent purpose against a holy Brahmana. Hurled by the great demon with all his strength, the flying trident shone brightly in the sky. The personality of God, however, tore it to pieces with his discus sudarshana which had a sharp-edged rim, even as Indra cut off a wing of Garuda. Now, this is a very interesting purport. First, Prabhupada tells a little bit about the story of Garuda and how this came to be. And then he says, with a view to respect the infallibility of Indra's weapon, Garuda, though otherwise invincible, being the Lord's own mount, dropped one of his wings which was shattered to pieces by the thunderbolt, by Indra's thunderbolt. The inhabitants of higher planets are so sensible that even in the process of fighting, they observe the preliminary rules and regulations of gentleness. Garuda wanted to show respect for Indra since he knew that Indra's weapon must destroy something. He offered his wing. So... Um, so many little lessons from, from this point here. Uh, one is uh, about showing respect. Right? Indra is a respectable person, has a very high position in this world. And, and so Garuda wanted to show respect that you know, he didn't want him to be embarrassed by setting out a weapon and it having no effect whatsoever. So he was showing respect. So we may not, you know, lop off our arms or anything like that. But the idea of respect is a, um, is practically speaking a universal principle, right? Mm. When one devotee was having some real difficulty and left the association of devotees, uh, someone asked Srila Prabhupada, how should we treat that person when we see him? And Srila Prabhupada said, with respect. He said, a devotee, respects even an ant, what to speak of someone who's practiced Krishna consciousness. 
And then one time a devotee, you know, this is in the early days of Iskand, and somebody saw a slug, right? You know, one of those slimy things. Lower than a slug, yeah. Um, and, and the devotee, you know, very innocent, new devotee, just said, Srila Prabhupada, what should we do? And Prabhupada said, chant to the poor thing. So, uh, so respect, right? Even um, one of the most famous songs the last 50 years was a song about respect, right? right? Um, so respect is so uh, important. It's, it's helpful something to keep in mind. It's helpful to keep in mind even in just day-to-day -day exchanges with other human beings. Also, we can respect Mother Earth Right by being uh, environmentally conscious, we can respect animals by not eating them uh, as a minimum. Uh, but showing respect is such a uh, there's a saying that anyone can show respect to a king, but only a very high class person will show respect even to the sweeper in the street. And if you want to win friends and influence people, there's a book by Dale Carnegie, um, just be respectful. Now respectful doesn't mean you take, you necessarily let down your guard if someone's cheating you or trying to sell you a used car or something like that. But, <laughs> but in general, uh, respect is, is our fundamental way that we deal with others. Also for if no other reason, we know that God is in their heart. When a, when a devotee would pay dandavats to Srila Prabhupada's guru, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur, he would, what would he say in reply? He would say, dasosmi. He said, I am your servant. Right? And, he would, and he said that he would be paying respects to the super soul in the heart of that disciple. So... Being respectful is, uh, is an important part of culture. So what else? Guru was respectful. I took some notes here. Um, also, Guru was showing some empathy, right? Thinking how Indra you know, would feel if, if, if everything was, if his endeavors were not successful. So sh putting himself in the shoes of, of um, Indra he acted in this way out of, out of empathy. So in one place, Srila Prabhupada wrote a letter saying that when we're talking to other people, we should appreciate their point of view. We may not agree with it, if it's not part of our philosophy, but just appreciate their point of view that, that develops a rapport with other living entities. So empathy, trying to, especially if we, see some, if we meet someone who has a different mindset than us, Try to understand. Like, let's just say, um, as much as we're, you know, obviously probably everyone in this room felt terrible about what happened yesterday in Charlottesville. If you, empathize, if you tried to empathize with a neo-Nazi or a uh, alt-right kind of person, uh, what do you think is driving them? Insecurity? Hmm? Yeah. Anything else? More 
Well, yes, that's why the mode of passion, ignorance is actually anger. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they're, they're affected by the lower modes of material nature. Uh, maybe something about their identity. They're feeling this, their identity is challenged. Not that we agree with what they did, but the point is that one can, um, it's interesting to try to enter into the mind of, of, of people, especially those that we don't agree with. Um, even doing that would help us know how to deal with such people. So empathy is a very powerful, powerful tool. Because we, have, we all have points of view, literally means the point, <laughs> the way I see the world. And you're seeing the world differently than I'm seeing the world. And the problem is that you know, the world is full of people who see the world differently. <laughs> but you know, that, that variety is the spice of life. And that's why the traditional Varnashram system, not what's happening in India today with the caste system, but the traditional system, it respected how different people had different ways of different, uh, the Sanskrit would be chitta vritti, different worldviews. Right? So you could say in one sense, this is a generalization, but in one sense, Brahmanas were anarchists. Right? They didn't have any authority above them. Chatriyas were monarchs. Vaishyas were capitalists. And Shudras were uh, communists. <laughs> you know, that, no, it's not exactly, you know, that's, that's a bit of a stretch. But the idea being that there was a respect for different mindsets. Not that one was better than the other. That's what it come to be now. You know, you open up the Hindustan Times and, you know, fair-skinned Brahmana woman with master's degree and, you know, <laughs> looking for suitable, suitable means wealthy. But they don't put that suitable. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Isn't it? <laughs> like that, you know, that, you know that's, that's the bodily concept of life and all that stuff. But the idea of, be, of that, there's a variety, that there is variety and honoring that variety uh, within bounds, right? In other words, again, I'm using a very extreme example. So forgive me for using such an extreme example, but because it's fresh in our minds, those people, you know, who are protesting, obviously none of us, I'm sure, here ascribe to, you know, the KKK and all that stuff. But is there anything possibly good in that culture? Who knows? I mean, take all the hate, take all that stuff. Let's say, you know, originally there was a really um, nice southern hospitality that people talk about. Right? So in other words, that, you know, you, you wash away everything. There might be some good almost, you know, as... Uh, Shastra says what you can, t uh, no, Chanakya Pandit said you can take gold from a dirty place. And I can say I was in Louisiana recently um, for work and I saw southern hospitality. People really just like, you know, if you ask for directions, they'd say, well, follow me, I'll drive you. You know, just, you know they drive 10 miles out of the way to take you to that place or something like that. So, um, <clears throat> But for those who don't do good, they may have to end up, you know, in the Hiranyaksha category. <laughs> get, get in trouble. <clears throat> so empathy, so we talked about empathy as being uh, a very important quality that we're seeing here in uh, Garuda. And also um, respect. And also this word Srila Prabhupada uses, uh, sensible. Or I think you could exchange it with sensitive. So a person who's empathic 
is sensitive. Now, one of the, one of the issues about empathy is that sometimes uh, what we need to do is find a balance. And some people, if they become very empathic, then they just surrender to the other person and just say, oh, you're right and I'm wrong. Please send my humble obeisances, you know, right? But the idea is to find a balance between consideration and courage, right? <clears throat> Not to just, you know. So here, Garuda, um, though he was sensible, it says here, the inhabitants of higher planets are so sensible that even in the process of fighting, they observe the preliminary rules and regulations of gentleness. So again, generally, a devotee is gentle. That reminds me of a bad joke. Uh, a Jewish friend told me the other day. <laughs> what is it? Why did God create Gentiles? You know, people who are not Jews. And the answer is because some, somebody has to pay retail. <laughs> anyway, you can say the same. <laughs> it's totally it was a bad joke. <laughs> but you know, bad jokes are sometimes funny. But here, gentleness, uh, sensi sensitivity, empathy, um, and respect. These were all uh, shown by Garuda in this pastime. Something to keep in mind. So next time you get really angry at someone or you want to lash out at them or you read something in the newspaper and you say, what jerks, right? Um, you, might take a, you might pause for a second and try to see, I wonder what makes those people tick. I wonder how they see the world. Now again, that doesn't mean evil is not evil. I'm not saying that at all, right? Um, that, I'm not saying that at all, but at the same time, it's, uh, often people are um, just trying to get their needs met or, or trying to protect their way of seeing the world. So sometimes it's interesting to try to enter into that worldview, even if we don't agree with it. Some thoughts on this? My little mini lecture on conflict resolution. I did have a thought, another one. All right. <laughs> Well, there's this respect thing. There's another oh, karaoke. Yeah. There's another side to it, because uh, in uh, Christian scripture it says uh, the Lord is no respecter of persons, which means He looks at everybody and He doesn't respect anything about them other than they're a person. So I, I was thinking, like with the neo-Nazis, if a neo-Nazi is is coming into a store behind you, you don't slam the door in his face because he's a neo-Nazi. Right. He's a person going through an entrance at right. that point. So that. That's, in other words, you can also... Right. But if he's driving a car, make sure you have a Hummer or something, you know, or a Humvee or something. You, you can all, should also uh, not discriminate people by respecting them as black or this and that. You, yeah, well, you don't respect in that case. Hate the sin and not the sinner kind of thing. Yeah. At the same time, if people are act, if, if, especially if people act in a way that could potentially harm others, that's often where uh, one's tolerance should end and action needs to be taken. Well, if somebody you know, says some words against us, Ram Ram, but if someone speaks ill about other devotees or wants to harm other people, then that's especially when a chhatriya would, would swing into action because chhat, chhatriya, chhat means uh, one, one, well, one derivation of the word means to protect. Right, and every police car right, says to serve and protect. So that should actually be, you know, to serve and protect would be a good uh, Chhatriya slogan. It's one of the most beautiful things. 
even like it came up in politics, unfortunately. But even a serial murderer is getting put into a squad car, they shield his head. So oh, they're yeah. respecting his right not to, the, uh, right. to, you know, not to be treated roughly, even though he... Yes, yeah. yeah, so Garuda was showing that here. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, so let's continue. Text 15. So it looks like uh, uh, Hiranyaksha is history. Well, he's actually, he's in the history books, but, I mean, you know, <laughs> they say... The demon was enraged when his trident was cut to pieces by the discus of the personality of Godhead. He therefore advanced towards the Lord and, roaring aloud, struck his hard fist against the Lord's broad chest, which bore the mark of Srivatsa. Then he went out of sight. Hit in this manner by the demon of Vidura, the Lord, who had appeared as the first boar, did not feel the least quaking in any part of his body, any more than an elephant would when struck with a wreath of flowers. So you imagine an elephant getting really upset if you throw a few flowers at him? <laughs> you know, wouldn't even notice it, right? It's a good example, isn't it? The demon, however, employed many conjuring tricks against the personality of Godhead, who is the lord of Yogamaya. At the sight of this, the people were filled with alarm and thought that the dissolution of the universe was near. Fierce winds began to blow from all directions, spreading darkness occasioned by dust and hailstorms. Stones came in volleys from every corner, as if thrown by machine guns. Now, I guess Prabhupada is using a little poetic license there, because it probably wasn't machine guns in the, way, in the sense that we you know, consider Uzis or something like that, or AK-47s. That's, yeah, that's true. Um... The luminaries in, in outer space disappeared due to the skies being overcast with masses of clouds, which were accompanied by lightning and thunder. The sky rained pus, hair, blood, stool, urine, and bones. O sinless Vidura, mountains discharged weapons of various kinds, and naked demonesses armed with tridents appeared with their hair hanging loose. Cruel and savage slogans were uttered by the host of ruffian yakshas and rakshashas, who all either marched on foot or rode on horse, elephant, or chariots. The Lord and the personal enjoyer of all sacrifices now discharged his beloved Sudarshana, which was capable of dispersing the magical forces displayed by the demon. At that very moment, a shudder suddenly ran through the heart of Diti, the mother of Hiranyaksha. She recalled the words of her husband, Kasyapa, and blood flowed from her breast. When the demon saw his magic forces dispelled, he once again came into the presence of the personality of Godhead, Keshava, and full of rage, tried to embrace him with his arms to crush him. But to his great amazement, he found the Lord standing outside the circle of his arms. So, you know, he tried to... And there's no, no Lord. <laughs> so Prabhupada writes, The demon's attempt to measure the Supreme Personality of Godhead is significant. The demon wanted to embrace him with his arms, thinking that with his limited arms he could capture the absolute by material power. He did not know that God is the greatest of the great and the smallest of the small. No one can capture the Supreme Lord or bring him under his control. But the demoniac person always tries to measure the length and breadth of the Lord. By his inconceivable potency, the Lord can become the universal form as explained in the Bhagavad Gita, and at the same time, he can remain within the box of his devotees as their worshipable deity. Uh, so that's, so some people under, may accept the greatness of God, like in the universal form, 
but how could he, you know, even a deity that big, but to speak of, you know, there's deities of Krishna this big. So God, Krishna can, God can do that. God can be the biggest of the biggest and the smallest of the small. Um, and he can be re represented in any way that he wishes to. There, here it says, there are many devotees who keep a statue of the Lord in a small box and carry it with them everywhere. Every morning they worship the Lord in the box. The Supreme Lord or the Keshava or the personality who had Krishna is not bound by any measurement of our calculation. He can remain with his devotee in any suitable form, yet he is unapproachable by any amount of demoniac activities. So Vedeshu Durlabam, Ah Durlabam Atmabhakto, that one um, has to approach the Lord with a devotional attitude in order to understand him as he is. Um, but he can make himself readily available to the devotee in his worshipable form. Let me see if there's anything else I wanted to say about that. Any thoughts on that? Questions, comments? Krishna, thank you for coming. What is NSHS? You're in college now, though? No, I'm in high school. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you for coming. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any questions, comments? So this is how wonderful, this is wonderful Krishna. He can be the universal form, and he can be a Shalagram Shila, you know, little stone this big. Doesn't, doesn't lose his potency. It says he comes in a form that, for, uh, that uh, devotees can uh, reciprocate with. It's like uh, we have a we have oh, at home we worship a uh, a stone from Gobardhan Hill, and so my wife is going away for a few days at the end of this week, and she's bring, bringing Giriraj the stone with with her. So I will be left in the house Giri Raj less. <laughs> I'll have to come to the temple here. <laughs> but that's, she, yeah, she's better at that than me because when I travel, I don't bring a, a deity with me because that's just so many airports and getting up early and staying out late for work. And last week I was in Portland, Oregon. Um, Six-hour flight there, well, because of stops. Then had to go to, anyone here ever been to Minot, North Dakota? And run from there, drive three hours up to Turtle Mountain on the Canadian border, and then down to Standing Rock in, uh, in North Dakota. And so like 600 miles on the car in two days, and, and then flying back. All the flights are through Denver, so Portland, Denver, Minot, Minot, Denver, DC, yeah, so it's a challenge. But, uh, but maybe that's my shortcoming. Maybe I should have a deity of Krishna. I take pictures of Krishna with me and like that. <clears throat> Anyone here of small deities? Yes, what kind of deity do you have for Buddha? Here. Andy needs the exercise. Yeah, Sri Rama Parivaram and Sri Krishna. Acha, very nice. How big? 
um, about about this big, two, two and a half inches. Very good. Is he any weaker than a deity of Krishna this big? <laughs> no, no, same, same. <laughs> right. Anyone else have small deities? What's your what deities do you have? I have uh, Nitai Gaurhari and uh, Balgopal. And they're this big. Balgopal is small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We have Gorni ties about this big, but they're still in Vrindavan. We, um, they're, they're very heavy, actually, even though they're only about this, because they're, they're Ashtadatu, eight, eight metals. And then we had a small Giriraj, and then a bigger one that Indradumna Maharaj gave us. So we have the big one, and the small one um, is, uh, I don't know if you can do this, but he's on loan <laughs> to another devotee who's taking care of them. Okay, so text 25. How are we doing time-wise? Okay. The demon now began to strike the Lord with his hard fists, but Lord Adhoksa just slapped him in the root of the ear, even as Indra, the Lord of Maruts, hit the demon Britta. Though struck indifferently by the Lord, the conqueror of all, the demon's body began to wheel. His eyeballs bulged out of their sockets, his arms and legs broken and the hair of his head scattered. He fell down dead like a gigantic tree uprooted by the wind. So I had that experience today. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a park right across the street from where we live. So I, uh, actually I was on a conference call, so I was getting exercise while I was on the conference call. And so in the path, there was a big storm here last night. In the path, this tree of just, <laughs> right. So, Hiranyakshiv just katam hogya. Aja, Brahma, and others arrived on the spot to see the fearfully tusked demon lying on the ground, biting his lip. But he bit his lip like three times in this chapter, right? The glow of his face was yet unfaded, and Brahma admiredly said, Oh, who could meet such blessed death? So it was a blessed death. Why? He was looking at the Lord, right? Right when he died. Yeah. It's like uh, Bhishma Dev. That happened to Bhishma Dev. He was just focused on Krishna as he chose to leave this world. So um, that's what devotees hope for, that there's a picture of... Uh, I know a devotee, because in Vrindavan, where I lived, many people came to leave this world. And so we'd sometimes put a Govardhan Sheila on their head or Tulsi right there. Prabhupada wanted a picture of his Guru Maharaj opposite his bed when he was very sick. Like that. So here, Brahma was actually admiring. What a glorious death. Brahma continued, he was struck by a forefoot of the Lord whom yogis seeking freedom from their unreal material bodies meditate upon in seclusion in mystic trance. While gazing on his continence, this crest jewel of Diti's sons has cast off his mortar, mortal coil. These two, then again, reminding us of who giant uh, Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu are, these two personal assistants of the Supreme Lord, having been cursed, have been destined to take birth in demoniac families. After a few such births, they will return to their own positions. 
the demigods addressed the Lord. All obeisances unto you. You are the enjoyer of all sacrifices, and you have assumed the form of a boar and pure goodness for the purpose of maintaining the world. Fortunately for us, this demon who is a torment to the world has been slain by you, and we too, O Lord, are now at ease in devotion to your lotus feet. Then Sri Maitreya, so that's the demigods, now Maitreya. And he says, After thus killing the most formidable demon, Hiranyaksha, the Supreme Lord Hari, the origin of the boar species, returned to his own abode, where there is always an uninterrupted festival. The Lord was praised by all the demigods, headed by Brahma. And Prabhupada writes, Although the Lord has his particular abode in which to reside, he is all-pervasive. The impersonalists accept one aspect of the Lord's features, the all-pervasive aspect, but they cannot understand his localized situation in his transcendental abode where he always engages fully in transcendental pastimes. Especially mentioned in this verse is the word akanditotsava. Utsava means pleasure. Whenever some function takes place to express happiness, it is called utsava. Utsava, the expression of complete happiness, is always present in the Vaikuntha Lokas, the abode of the Lord, who is worshipable even by demigods like Brahma, to say nothing of others, less of other less important entities, such as human beings. So, um, so the Mayavadis accept the oneness, but not the variety. They only uh, go for the paid, but not the paid abed. Right? Philosophically. So they, they, they don't understand how God can be in a little box and the universal form. They just say, okay, universal form, TA. Box. Um, so imagine that right now as we're talking, there's the spiritual sky where all these wonderful utsavas, these festivals are going on right now, right this very minute. It's quite a meditation. Because we kind of think, yeah, okay, we hear some description. It seems kind of far away. You know, the real question is, what, the, what is the weather going to be like tomorrow? <laughs> well, actually, for us, what's the weather going to be like Tuesday night is the real concern, but that's another thing, <laughs> right? But we're so absorbed in the here and now to actually think this. Is right now, Krishna's with the gopis. Krishna's performing loving affairs like that. Um, and if we think of Utsava, we think of... Uh, a great festival that we attended in Krishna consciousness. You got one in your mind? My mantra, are you paying attention? Are you reading uh, Time magazine? I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Michael's saying, no, he's protecting him. No. <laughs> he's reading the Bhagavatam. <laughs> just, just kidding. Um, but if you think in your mind about a festival, a really wonderful festival you're at, a Krishna conscious festival, or think about um, a, a time when you know, you've really had a wonderful exchange with a close devotee friend. Or chanting in a kirtan. Or chanting japa. Yesterday there was a japa session at your house. Yeah, I was traveling. But, uh, the devotees came to Mahamantrabhu's house and chanted 64 rounds. Monavrat. The only thing you could say is Hare Krishna. It's like in the Chaitanya Charitamrita where the... Where the they were uh, having that big festival, and they were passing, or they were, they were washing the Gundicha temple. Was that it? 
And instead of asking for a bucket, they just said, Krishna, Krishna. And the under said, okay, he wants a bucket, you know. Krishna, another Krishna, oh, he wants a broom, you know. <laughs> it was all the holy names. Or if you think about, um, you know, the uh, introducing someone to Krishna consciousness for the first time. And if you compare the happiness you experienced in one of those settings with maybe the happiness you tried to experience before you were a devotee, I would think if you're honest, there, there would be a difference in quality in that uh, experience, in that experience. Yeah. So this utsava is going on at every moment. Yes, Michael. I have a question about uh, if, if uh, my understanding is Hiranyaksha has a material body. Okay. Uh, Varaha has a spiritual body. Okay. And they're fighting. So if they can sort of engage on, on that level, I, I, I don't quite understand how substantially a spiritual body is different than a physical body. Uh, well, you see, okay, so that's... The, I'm not sure I can answer that to your satisfaction, but um, the first thing that comes to my mind is our assumptions about a spiritual body, okay? Um, we sometimes define it in, the, in, in terms of negation. It's not material, right? That's, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a kind of negation that we... Um, but does that mean it's, it, it like doesn't exist in a way that can interact with the material? Um, you know, an easy answer that may not be satisfying to our intellect is yes, of course, Krishna can do what he wants, right? Um, but is it, you know, is it kind of like, you know, in Harry Potter, you put on the invisibility cloak and, you know, there's nothing there, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just such an ananda, but it's not, you know. <laughs> um, obviously, we, we're hearing here that there's some interaction, and even the Lord is feigning uh, bleeding, right? Yet we know that his body is satchit ananda, made of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. How even our soul, right? Because we are we the soul is similarly non-material, right? Like a drop of water compared to an ocean, but still not material. Yet it is energizing this entire body. And we say, Bhagavad Gita says that at the time of death, the difference between a dead body and a live body is that the soul is no longer there. Um, it is interesting to just a little bit of an aside, but it says, but you notice that his, what is it called, rigamorphous? You know, that thing that sets in after the soul leaves the body and the body becomes stiff and it changes color. I don't know if you ever uh, witnessed somebody leave this world, but the, they're literally, the, the, the color of their body, uh, the skin changes. And that did not happen to Hiranyaksha, as mentioned here. Um, be, and it said, because of the touch of the Lord. So, I might be able to find a more fully satisfying answer than that, but I just wanted to bring out that we may have some assumptions uh, 
about what it means to have a spiritual body which may not uh, actually jive with reality. Jai Sisi Gornitai Sitaram Lakshman Hanuman Shishi Radha Madan Mohan Ki Jai. Is that all right? Anything else? Okay, so we, I don't know if we'll finish this chapter, but we'll keep going. We're almost there. We have a few minutes. 32. Maitreya is continuing. He says, my dear Vidura, he's speaking to Vidura. I have explained to you the personality of Godhead's coming down as a firstborn incarnation and killing in a great fight a demon of unprecedented prowess, as if he was just a plaything. This has been narrated by me as I heard it from my predecessor's spiritual masters. Sri then Sri Sutta Goswami speaking. To who? The sages of Namisharanya, right? And he says, my dear Brahmana, Shatta Vidura, the great devotee of the Lord, achieved <coughs> transcendental bliss by hearing the narration of the pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead from the authoritative source of the sage Maitreya. And he was very pleased. And we're not going to finish this chapter, actually. We'll just do this verse. Prabhupada writes, If anyone wants to derive transcendental pleasure by hearing the pastimes of the Lord, he must hear from the authoritative source, as explained here. Maitreya heard the narration from his bona fide spiritual master, and Vidura also heard from Maitreya. One becomes an authority simply by presenting whatever he has heard from his spiritual master, and one who does not accept the bona fide spiritual master cannot be an authority. This is clearly explained here. If one wants to have transcendental pleasure, he must find a person with authority. It is also stated in the Bhagavatam that simply by hearing from an authoritative source with the ear and the heart, one can relish the pastimes of the Lord. Otherwise, it is not possible. Sanatana Goswami, therefore, has especially warned that one should not hear anything about the personality of the Lord from the lips of a non-devotee. So, we, there's a lot about hearing from authority in this. We don't, I don't think we emphasize it so much in classes because we assume that because we're, we're very fortunate here, we're always hearing from authority. We're reading Prabhupada's books or the statements of the previous acharyas and we're not hearing some concocted interpretation of the Bhagavad Gita or the Srimad Bhagavatam. So we may almost be a uh, little insensitive to how if you hear a misinterpretation of someone who takes Krishna's words and twists them, how detrimental that can be for one's spiritual progress. Um, we may take it for granted because we're hearing from uh, authority. But uh, Srila Prabhupada would be very upset with people who misinterpret the... Oops. Yeah, apples are pretty good computers. Uh, <laughs> misinterpret uh, the Bhagavad He said, that, let them write their own book, but why take Krishna's words and turn them around? <laughs> That's what he would say. So hearing from the right source is one of the best paths to transcendental bliss. Just hearing about Krishna, hearing about his pastimes in Vrindavan, hearing about uh, the philosophy in the Bhagavad Gita, like that, it soothes the soul. Like that. You were going to say something about mantra, or you just had the microphone waiting for... Uh, it's time. Time is up. So there is class next week and then the week after that there is no class the 28th or 27th 28th 
um, because uh, I'll be in Boston, actually. I have to go up to Boston for some travel. So uh, have a good week. And of course, Tuesday is Janmastami. So hopefully we'll see everyone here on Tuesday. Um, there'll be programs going on throughout the day and all kinds of neat stuff, right? Yes. And now it is time for Japa meditation. Thank you. Hare Krishna.